That's it. That's what. What's the idea? Well, what's the big idea? What's the big idea? What's the big idea, Egghead? What's the big idea? Welcome back to What's the Big Idea. Today on the show, we have Jackie Nectel and Justin Fairman, and they are the founders of the Flow Consciousness Institute, and I have been very excited about this podcast for some time. Uh, as many of you know, I have a book in the works called Social Flow, which is all about how we can tap into flow states while we're with people in social situations. And becoming friends with Jackie several years ago was really instrumental in deepening my work there because Jackie was one of the people that introduced me to the idea of flow consciousness, where a flow state is so much uh, predicated on peak performance, momentary instances of the absence of time, of our skills meeting a challenge, of becoming completely absorbed into what we're doing. Whereas flow consciousness is actually about how we can basically engage our beliefs, our uh, self-narratives, our perspectives to cultivate these states of flow on a more ongoing, sustainable basis. And uh, really when I think about Justin and Jackie, I think about them as, as masters of mindset, of basically how we can transform the way that we think about the world and in doing so, transform the way that we show up in the world. And it felt so important to have this conversation right now where so many of us are spending so many time alone with our own thoughts, uh, sitting in quarantine and in a time of social isolation. So we, we talk about that directly. And, you know, on top of that, so many other beautiful topics, everything from how we can engage the intuition, what that actually is, how we can cultivate that sense of self-trust in situations, how we can follow our intrinsic motivation and trust ourselves without uh, spiritually bypassing and engaging real-world problems and issues. Uh, so if you are curious about any of these topics, personal flow states, curious about how we can tap into this type of self-trust on a really deep level, I think you're going to love this episode. They're great people. And I really enjoyed sitting down with them. So without further ado, here are Justin and Jackie of the Flow Consciousness Institute. All right, welcome back to What's the Big Idea? So excited to be here with the Flow Masters, Justin and Jackie. Welcome to the show, you guys. Thanks, Thanks so much for having us. It's been a, a long time in the making. A long, long time in the making, but also I think the perfect time to have this conversation um, because one of the things that I appreciate most about, you know, Jackie, we, we've had a, a personal relationship and Justin, I've just been a huge fan of your writing, uh, and the work that you guys have created, but really to me, you guys are such masters of, of mindset about really being, uh, conscious about the mindset that we are creating and how we're interacting with the world, which feels more important now than ever, as we're all being forced to really spend a lot of times with ourselves, being kind of exposed to a lot of uh, scary realities with uh, COVID-19. And so, you know, I really appreciate you guys taking the time to join us. Yeah, well, I, I would, I think this is one of the best uses of our time, period, and especially given circumstances. So happy to be here. Totally. And, you know, I'm, I'm curious, just as we're diving into this episode, and, you know, this is really going to be an introduction to, to flow mastery. And so what I'd love is 
why don't we just, I want to split it between the two of you guys. I'd love if to provide some context for our listeners. If you could start by introducing and, and giving us just a quick definition of what, how you define flow. I'll give that one to Jackie and then to Justin, how you would define flow consciousness. And so Jackie, just to kind of start us off and provide some context, how do you personally define a flow state and why is it something that people should concern themselves with? Yeah, beautiful. Well, first, I want to make a distinction around flow state and flow consciousness, because flow states are what people are more commonly talking about. And flow states are those temporary ephemeral experiences where you're experiencing expanded creativity, uh, where time seems to stop. And it's this non-ordinary state of consciousness or peak performance. But inherently, flow states are temporary. So when we talk about consciousness, it's more of a, a way of being. It's your true nature. And so beneath all of the layers of societal conditioning and programming is that place where we're tapped into the essence of who we are, into our pure potential, and that place where life is conspiring in our favor, when all of the resources we need to thrive come to us effortlessly in perfect synchronicity. So really it's it's a, a stage of psycho-spiritual development rather than a temporary state. Beautiful. And so I'd love to, you know, when we talk about something like flow states, um, I'm curious to hear a little more from both of you guys of what was your experience to introducing yourself to flow states first and then to flow consciousness of when did this for each of you guys become something that really emerges as a, as a calling, something that you wanted to practice more yourselves, but also something that you were excited to share? What was the moment when this really connected for you as something important that you were going to explore? Yeah, well, um, I actually came at it from the opposite way. Uh, flow consciousness first, flow states second. Um, and, uh, it, for me, you know, I guess in the context of the conversation we were just having before the podcast started, which was pretty much all about surfing for those who, who weren't listening in there is, um, I started surfing when I was 13 and, um, now I'm 35. And so the, I, I think that was really my introduction to flow in general without knowing anything about flow states at the time. And just that shift from like the hyper rational, you know, intellectual, logical state that most of us are in all the time. And, be, you know, as you know, Andrew, being out in the water and surfing, you have, it's all feeling, you know, you could go out, you could go surf and not say a word to anybody, even yourself and like still have a great time. And so it's that kind of primed me into it, into a more intuitive orientation to reality. And then I got really into personal development, um, you know, higher consciousness, peak performance, and so on when I was around 20. And about six years into that journey, I had a really incredible mentor come into my life who was absolutely a level 10 master of what, of what we call flow consciousness. And, you know, it's a really, like Jackie was saying, it's like this really accelerated path to living your full potential. And it's, it's really tapping into, you know, a much, a much greater reality than most people have access to. Again, like you said, based on their mindset and how they perceive the world among many other things. And so he basically opened a door for me into a whole nother level of reality that was possible beyond what most people were operating at. And he was so masterful at it. And his life was so incredible. Uh, he had what I would call holistic success on every level, like 
spiritually, financially, relationally, health-wise. I mean, this guy was just totally fulfilled, living his purpose, having a huge impact, uh, very wealthy. And uh, I, I, I was like, I want that. You know, this is this is it. Like, this is the holy grail, especially if you're into personal development. And so, um, I studied with him for a while, and that got me really fascinated with. He was teaching me some incredible practices and different things like that, and it got me really fascinated with the mechanics of what was actually going on. Uh, I have a bit of an engineer's mind, and so I was really curious, like, how is this actually working, you know, on, a, on the level of neuroscience? How is this working in the brain in terms of reality itself on the quantum level? And, um, and so that basically that inquiry for me led to flow consciousness, like led to the development of what we, we now call flow consciousness. And, um, you know, Jackie has her own path into it and she can speak to that. But that was really kind of my, my journey and, and catalyst into living like this. I love yeah. that. And how about for you, Jackie? Yeah, for me, um, I guess I, I'd always been somewhat of a, a seeker and uh, had a lot of different traumas in my life that I was committed to, you know, the cycle ends with me. And so from an early age, I started studying psychology and Eastern religions and um, really just looking for a way out of my own suffering. And then in 2009, um, my brother died unexpectedly. And that was a huge catalyst for just my own personal healing and set me off on this grand hero's journey where I left my life as I knew it in New York and traveled around the world for a year by myself. And it was a profound inner journey and uh, led me to some extraordinary healers and mentors that uh, I took this quantum leap in my own consciousness and then committed the, you know, the rest of my time to studying all these different modalities and, and working with these different mentors and teachers. And um, it wasn't until I had come to, I was coaching on a tech incubator in Chile and working with these programmers and engineers that the idea of flow came into my awareness because I saw it. And I have a background as an autism specialist. So I had shifted careers into the transformational coaching space and so I was working with these engineers and seeing how deeply they were in this, you know, what, what I came to understand as a flow state when they would just disappear into a coding hole and, you know, forget to eat and shower and, you know, would emerge days later. Uh, but they were so deeply in the zone that I started researching flow states. And then I realized that something was missing from that for me. And the way that I was living my life felt so free and expansive. And I, I would manifest these things that seemed so absurd and impossible that everyone was asking me, like, how are you doing that? And I didn't really know because I had this unconscious competence around it until I worked with a mentor to help reverse engineer all of the practices, principles, and, and different mindsets that allowed me to live inflow in a way that I, I felt like, you know, it, it's beyond a flow state that this is my way of being at all times. And so we worked to break it down into frameworks and tools so that I could teach it to other people. And then when Justin and I met, it, there was so much synergy around what we were doing that we knew we needed to combine forces and really bring this work in the world in a major way. 
And so I'm curious about that moment when two minds who had approached it from such you know different angles, when you guys first came together, what became clear to each of you? Like, how did you know that you were destined to work together on this, that you needed to team up? Yeah, well, I'm having all kinds of cheeky joke answers coming to mind. <laughs> uh, but uh, I mean, you know, Jackie, I'm sure you got some great stories to share. I, I would say, though, on you know, really nitty gritty level, it's like, well, when you meet somebody who's on a completely that you had no previous knowledge that they existed, and you know, you guys have come to almost identical conclusions about the nature of reality and and this emerging thing beyond flow states. It's like. Hey, you know, maybe there's something here to explore. <laughs> totally. Yeah. And there were, it was so synchronistic and, you know, perfect uh, example of what we teach and how we came together. Um, I was in Bali and I had plans to go to New York where I'm from. And this woman that I knew from, you know, some group on the internet that I belonged to reached out to me and she wanted to take me for a coffee and at first I said, yes. And then being from New York, my calendar was slammed with all of the people that I wanted to see and family and friends. And I was kind of asking myself, why did I say yes to this woman? And my mentor at the time, he said, you need a filter. And I was like, well, I have a filter. It's my intuition. And something tells me I need to meet with this woman. And while I met with her and I was telling her, about flow. And she's like, you need to meet my coach, Justin, because he's talking about the exact same things as you are. And so I arranged this trip for us to go to Joshua Tree with a group of friends. And we didn't get to spend a lot of time there together. Um, And after that, this was after Burning Man in 2015, I was driving up the coast of California and I was living the full nomad life at that point. I didn't have a home at all. And I was going to be passing through Santa Barbara. And so I reached out to Justin. I was like, hey, we should get together for dinner or something. But then on the way there, um, I was I was in so much pain. I had this mysterious pain in my abdomen that had been increasing over the weeks. And when I got to his house, I ended up needing to go to the emergency room. And I was hospitalized for five days with this infection and Because of that, Justin and his girlfriend came to visit me every day, and we had a solid amount of time to really drop in with each other and feel that resonance. And we decided there, we kind of mapped out the future of our work and and the, uh, you know, we put on a a calendar or speaking tour that was going to start. And it happened, you know, we were thinking like nine months out into the future. And we did our first talk in Costa Rica two months later. And it's just been on this crazy organic exponential growth trajectory ever since. And so what is the purpose of basically the Flow Mastery Institute? It's like when you guys think about basically everything that you're creating, you guys exist to do what in the world? Yeah. So, you know, it's the Flow Consciousness Institute. Flow Consciousness. I don't know why I said Flow Mastery. Sorry. Our program is Flow Mastery. Flow Mastery. You know, there's, I think there's a couple things that we're trying to do. One, you know, I think Jackie and I both share a vision to have the entire world living in flow, have, have at least a billion people living in flow and, and, you know, enjoying all of the fruits that come from, uh, living in flow consciousness. And then by extension, also tapping into flow states as well. And then I also think on a more 
you know, specific level, like I'm, I'm very excited about, um, you know, developing advanced tools for unlocking human potential, you know? And when I say that, that that's inclusive peak performance, but also beyond peak performance, you know, that really includes like going into, you know, the, the highest stages and states of consciousness possible, um, really optimizing life in a really practical way to thrive on every level. And also, you know, we're, we're doing really interesting work um, mapping the mind uh, and specifically, you know, what I would call like mental physics. And that's different than neuroscience, but really mapping how the psyche works. And maybe you can say like picking up where Young left off and some of these great depth psychologists left off and continuing that journey into mapping the psyche. And then by extension of that too, really um, uh, mapping intuition, mapping the the full spectrum mechanics of intuition, how that works. Because I, I, I believe and we believe that you know, we're in the age of information right now. And the coming age beyond the age of information is the age of intuition. Because when you're overwhelmed with intuition, uh, information, the only way to actually process it coherently and usefully is either with supercomputers or the supercomputer that we have within ourselves, which is our intuition. And so, um, you know, I'll let Jackie share her visions as well. If she has anything to add, but like that's at the core of what we do is really like try to understand the nature of the mind, nature of reality and consciousness and like, take that and reverse engineer it into practical tools to, to uplift humanity. Yeah. I would, I would say like the essence of it is scaling the evolution of consciousness and by mapping the unconscious, like we have, it's a way to really expedite the process and uh, to really on a, on a global scale, bring these tools in a way that, um, you know, can really reshape the future of our society. I think um, there's, an urgency and an evolutionary imperative for us to really make this leap in our consciousness, especially, you know, it, it's so apparent to me with everything that's happened now and, you know, kind of this systemic dismantling and, and the, the collapse of these systems and, and revealing and exposing the fragility both within ourselves and within these, uh, the systems of our healthcare, educa education, our financial system, the political system, all of these systems that are being proven obsolete, they're not serving the people anymore, and, and they're certainly not sustainable for the planet. So we're in a, a profound moment in time where we can really massively upshift our consciousness and rebuild these systems from a, a new paradigm that's not rooted in fear, power, greed, control, lack, scarcity, all of these old paradigm ways of being. And so that's what really excites me is how quickly we can and take this leap in consciousness so that way we can rebuild our society and rebuild these systems from this new paradigm way of being. That's beautiful. And I definitely want to bookmark, you know, both kind of what what potential this has for creating a new society, getting a little bit deeper into the exploration of consciousness, physics, how it relates to flow consciousness. Um, but then also you guys have both used a word now that I'd love to dig a little deeper into. And one of the things that I like to do on, on what's the big idea is like when we have some of these concepts that people may be familiar with, how do we go a little bit deeper to just kind of firm up their understanding of that word, of that concept? And so both of you have spoken about intuition. And so when you use that word, what does it mean to you and why is it so important? 
Yeah, good question. Um, well, you know, the classical definition is intuition is knowing how we know without knowing is is knowing without knowing how we, how we know, right? Knowing without knowing how we know, or maybe even why we know, right? And that's I would say that that's kind of like an old school definition of it. I, in my estimation, intuition is really this kind of quantum multidimensional faculty that we all have access to that um, has been formerly described as our unconscious mind or our subconscious processing, but it's actually much, much, much more than that. And I think it's the bridge between, you know, like <laughs> relativity and, you know, quantum theory in some ways, but on, on a personal level in the sense that it's the bridge from, you know, the, the everyday world of, you know, stable shape and form into quantum aspects of our consciousness and quantum aspects of reality. It's that flashpoint between the mind and the larger sea of reality that we exist in. And, and it's this advanced type of processing that we have that allows us to basically, you know, for all intents and purposes, really become infinite. And so, um, you know, intuition to me is really, our, our full potential. It's a synthesis of our feelings of our mind and our intellect into a greater capacity that really allows us to become all that we're capable of. Anything to add, Jackie? Yeah. I mean, intuition, a, a lot of people tend to think is, you know, Oh, just this woo woo thing or, you know, the Miss Cleo kind of thing. It, it's really, it's an innate inborn mechanism. This, inherent ability that we all have to just read subtle energy. And our society is trained and conditioned to make decisions based on our logic and reason and relying on the mind. But our minds are inherently limited based on our, our beliefs, our perceptions, and all of these things that really kind of put blinders on what's possible. And so by accessing this felt sense, this ability to tune into the field, you can access infinitely more data. And from that to make your decisions is really how you make the exponential leaps, because most people are operating in a really linear way when they're using their rational mind. But with intuition, it allows you to make these exponential leaps. And so, you know, one of the things I like to do is oftentimes kind of push back a little bit. So for someone who's listening to this, and when we say it's like to not adhere to the, the ration and logic of our mind feels maybe irresponsible or like for someone who's saying that of like to give ourselves to our intuition, you know, I'm curious how you guys would respond to that and also how you speak to the resistance that people have to trusting this, this intuition, this knowing that we don't know how we know. Well, yeah. I, I just want to first say, yeah, a distinction around that is you're, it's not that you're never going to use logic and reason and your rational mind. It's that your intuition is going to be informing those processes. So it, it, intuition is the master key, which is informing everything else. And so you can still absolutely use logic and reason, um, but intuition is really helping to integrate the heart and the mind and have, you know, this, this broader perspective and on, on trusting it, it's really, it's, it's a practice really learning to tap back into that, this felt sense that we all have that maybe along the way, a teacher, a parent, someone had shut that down for us. Um, but it's something that we can absolutely 
learn to tap back into again. But if there's a lot of unresolved, unprocessed trauma, emotional patterns and noise in the nervous system, it's harder to access that. So we teach important distinctions and train people on how to identify what is your actual intuition speaking and what is more, you know, these triggered emotions. Yeah. And in, in terms of why one might want to use intuition over uh, rational logic and analysis is basically if you, and this is, this is where I think people really have the transformational moment of understanding why you would want to make the switch in general. And then beyond that stack on everything that Jackie's saying, which is like learning to discern what's what and actually get good at it. Because if you look at like, you know, the research into the mind, into the brain and how it processes reality, our, our rational, logical minds can only process about 60,000 bits of data per second. Our intuition, on the other hand, can process 65 billion bits of data per second. Okay, so we're talking like millions of times greater uh, levels of data that it has access to. So just from the sheer level of data that it has access to, your intuition is going to make infinitely better decisions because it just it just can see more of the territory it sees more of the map you know when you're when you're trying to make a decision with your rational logical mind you're basically looking at less than one percent of the map and when you're making a decision with your intuition you're looking at 99.999 percent of the map and so now that's that's an oversimplification but for all intents and purposes your intuition gives you access to exponentially greater information about reality and it's also assessing way more things about the circumstances at hand that you can even consciously be aware of. Like you literally cannot fully understand all the factors that your intuition takes into account with your rational mind because it just can't, 60,000 bits of data can't process 65 billion bits of data. And so basically when you're operating from your intuition, your intuition is considering possibilities and probabilities that you're not even aware of consciously. So when you get informed by your decision by, excuse me, by your intuition to make a specific decision or choice, which often shows up in the body as a feeling, right? Then that is actually a very, very complex, very actually rational decision. Whereas your mind gives you the illusion, your rational mind gives you the illusion that it's making the best possible decision when it's actually making the least informed decision. And so when you combine those two things, like Jackie was saying, then you get 65 billion you know, 60,000 bits of data per second. Now you have your maximum capacity online. And that's what we recommend is to really learn how to bring your intuition online to its full capacity and then combine that with your rational mind, let, let intuition lead, but combine it. And then you get into that magic place where flow emerges. Yeah. And, you know, one thing I'm curious about there is, Jackie, you talked about how you, you oftentimes help people to distinguish between intuition versus a triggered emotional response. And it's because, you know, something I'm curious about is for people who say like, I have intuition and it's the thing that tells me that people like aren't going to like me or I'm going to screw up at work, right? That like knowing that like feeling that emotional kind of stimulus or resonance in them that oftentimes feels limiting. So how do we distinguish between those triggered emotional responses and, and true intuition? Yeah. So the, the first thing to know is that Intuition is never going to communicate in the form of an emotion. Intuition is is purely felt sensation, whether it's within or around the body. Um, and so sensation being like tingles, a feeling of heat, warmth, light, expansion, contraction, something like that, as opposed to 
um, fear, sadness, guilt, things like that. If we're experiencing an emotion as we're tuning into this decision-making, an emotion is a sign that we're interpreting this felt sensation through the lens of our beliefs and our perceptions. And so we're attaching a story and a meaning around whatever this sensation is. So if you you know, are, are going into a party and you're experiencing a lot of energy in your body and you have a story around they're not going to like me because Johnny in the third grade, you know, singled you out in front of the class and made fun of you and that's being triggered, that's not your intuition. That's just, you know, an old story, an old emotional pattern that hasn't been processed that's being activated. And so the more inner work that you do, the more you heal all of these different trauma imprints and these different unhealed, unprocessed emotions in your system, it becomes much more easy to access and to know what the the pure sensation is in your body without, you know, all of the interference. And so when we when we start to think about intuition and how we can cultivate this practice, um, what what are the steps that you encourage people to do to cultivate the ability to really kind of become more aware of this, to integrate it into their their actions, their their mm-hmm. behavior? Yeah, well, it's so there's there's many different things because intuition is really there's the spectrum here, right? So the journey to mastering intuition is like the journey of going from, you know, uh, uh, a, a college athlete or a high school athlete to the Olympics, you know, to gold medal in the Olympics. Like it's possible to take it that far. And so there's different stages along the journey of developing your intuition. You know, what we'll start is literally at ground zero because all advanced practices of intuition, all advanced abilities with intuition are all built on the foundation. So this is absolutely the most important thing. And, and that, and we'll talk about that, but beyond that, like you can start to stack on things and go really far with it. But the, the number one key thing is to reorient from logic, rationalysis and thinking all the time into feeling, right? Because your intuition shows up as a feeling like, how do we know something is an intuitive response? We know because it has a different sensation. It has a different feeling. It has some kind of different quality about it that lets you know that it's different than a normal thought or just your imagination or, you know, mind wandering or whatever, right? There's always a sensation. There's always something that's different about it than your normal way of operating. And so we call that your intuitional signature. So the first thing to do is get good at identifying your unique intuitional signature. And that's going to be slightly different for everybody, but there's also some common themes uh, um, that are present for everyone as well, too. And we'll talk a little bit about what those are, but the, but that's the main thing is like we want to learn how to identify when our intuition shows up so that we know when we're getting an intuitional sign- signal about something and then we can sort for that. And that's like step one. And then step two is like to start to use that faculty to be our main way of orienting to reality. So instead of like constantly thinking and assessing everything with our minds, we're, we're, we're much more intuitive and we're feeling what's going on around us. Like, how does this person feel? How does this conversation feel? How does it feel to like, when I think about doing this in my business, or when I think about making this career change, how does that feel? You know, maybe it sounds good on paper and my parents would be really proud, but when I feel into it, my stomach feels like it's going to vomit, you know, or vice versa and, and shifting into that felt sense way of orienting and then letting our mind run after that. Yeah, I, I love that. It reminds me of uh, something I heard once, which is that most people are trying to do things because they think once they've achieved it, they'll feel the way they want to feel. <laughs> totally. Right. 
the other way and around. They, and they have some sort of projection, but it's it's like the idea that if we're aware of like what is the state that is desirable, like how do we want to feel that we're more capable of just creating the feeling now in that moment and then making more likely to create more stuff from that space that that aligns with the feeling that we really desire. Totally. And we we joke saying that millionaires don't use intuition, but billionaires do. So you'll see uh, <laughs> recently an article that uh, Jeff Bezos, you know, is, is making all of his decisions from intuition. I was at a mastermind with Naveen Jain and I got to ask him this question is, you know, if you're making really difficult decisions, what, uh, where on the spectrum of using logic and reason to intuition are you? And he basically said, I close my eyes and I, I feel into it and I make the decision purely from intuition. And yeah, you can make extraordinary, difficult decisions from that place when you really trust it. Like I turned down funding for one of my biggest visions when on paper everything looked perfect. It looked like everything that I'd ever wanted and had been talking about for years. But when I felt into it using exactly like we just talked about, I felt this contraction in my body. And, you know, there were a couple pieces around it that just didn't feel right to me. And so I, I did the thing that didn't make any sense. I walked away from that and I, I went on to the, the tech incubator that I was talking about where I wasn't going to be paid for a few months in Chile because that felt exciting and expansive to me. So being able to make really difficult decisions like that is so powerful. Uh, and you can train it by starting with the little decisions and starting to make all of the decisions in your day from a place of intuition you know, not just doing them because you default to it. So from the time you wake up, from what you want to eat for breakfast, from where you want to go, who you want to talk to, you know, everything really checking in and working that muscle and strengthening it. So that way you can make these, these bigger decisions from that place. I love that. And so, you know, as we're getting into some of these actual practices that people can kind of think about in terms of identifying their, their ways of feeling and, and mining their intuition, how to integrate that. I'm just curious, what are the places in people's lives, if we're going to make this even more practical, you know, whether it's in relationships, whether it's in, in work, like what are the places where you find this practice most beneficial, where else people can start to integrate it? Yeah, yeah, totally. There's one place where it's definitely the most beneficial, and that's for every single decision. That's that what I was going to say. Short yeah. answer, all of them. <laughs> yeah. and, that, and that's the big secret, you know, is that like, it's like, if it's that much better than rational analysis, why wouldn't you use it for everything, you know? And, and, and that's really one of the key insights into getting into flow is to start making every decision from intuition and then get as good as possible at using intuition. Because the better you get at it, the better your life becomes in direct proportion to that, the more successful you become, you know, obviously, and, um, and the better your life gets. And, and that's really the, the aspect of flow mastery. The mastery of flow is taking it and being able to artfully use these different tools, including intuition, but also above and beyond intuition that we haven't talked about to really navigate every moment of every day. You know, this is, this is the Tao. This is the Wu Wei. This is the, the art. This is, you know, Zen. This is the, the art of effortless living is like, okay, how do I constantly engage in a beautiful 
dance and judo with whatever life brings to me and leverage it to my advantage. And intuition is going to cue you up for that, whether it's in a difficult conversation with, you know, your wife or your girlfriend or vice versa, or it's a big decision you have to make in terms of your career or literally, and this is, this is one of the areas that I love to talk about because it's so such a mind bender. It's like, and like what you're going to eat for breakfast and how much you're going to salt your eggs and what color clothes you're going to wear. Because these little micro decisions we make oftentimes have huge effects on our life. You know, pretty much everybody's missed some kind of major accident in their life by one or two seconds. So that means some decision that you deemed inconsequential that, that, that took you one or two seconds longer or shorter actually saved your life or completely changed the course of your life. And so these little things that we do that we often take for granted, like, where, what color clothes we wear, if we say hi or not to somebody, you know, walking down the street, like these things have huge consequences. And so that's why it's so important to use intuition for every decision, because you never know when those moments are going to be these powerful moments of inflection that can change the rest of your life. So when you make your, when you use intuition for every decision, you're naturally catching each one of those, and then you leverage everything to your advantage. I also want to throw in a piece that we didn't get to talk about yet, but a big part of our work is is really like breaking down the mechanics of how we create our reality and how our reality works. And and at the root of everything is our, our beliefs and our perceptions. And so our beliefs and our perceptions at our very core, these, these things that we've taken on from, you know, we've inherited them from our ancestors, we've been imprinted with them from the time we're young, you know, from our culture, media, religion, all of these different places that have given us these, these narratives and these perceptions that then dictate our emotional state, they influence our, our thoughts, our decisions, our actions, and ultimately the results that we get in life. We use a framework that we call BETDAR. And so beliefs, emotions, thoughts, decisions, actions, and results. And so we all have, you know, we talked about mapping the unconscious. We all have hundreds of these core beliefs that are limiting our experience of reality because they're putting blinders on what we believe is possible. And so if we're relying solely on the mind and the rational mind, we have those blinders on that aren't allowing us to see other possibilities, whereas our intuition is the bypass for all of that. So our our beliefs and our emotions are going to get in the way if we have these unresolved, unprocessed emotional patterns and limiting beliefs, they get in the way of seeing beyond what we think is possible. And so, you know, I'm so fascinated by this. And and Jackie, this is really, you know, the the subject that kind of connected us when we first met. And so when we think about these beliefs and perspectives, these narratives that we carry that, that limit our worldview, what we're capable of, how the world works, what I'm curious about is if we were going to make this really practical for, for listeners and think about, you guys have done this now with, with thousands and thousands of people. Um, I'm curious, what are the most prevalent beliefs that inhibit people's ability to tap into these kind of effortless flow states? Like what are the beliefs that you see that are most common that are inhibiting people and just holding them back from peak performance, full potential? Yeah, there's there's quite a few. Um, (laughs) You've gone through the program, so you've seen how many there are. 
But um, but I I mean I would say there's some core overarching ones like I can't trust myself. I'm not good enough. I'm not worthy of love. Um, you know, I have to work hard to be successful. Um, I'm wrong. I'm a bad person. I'm incapable. Um, I mean, there's a, there's a, there's a large stack. Jackie, you want to throw any on those on that pile? there? Yeah. Life is hard. I have to work hard to be successful. I don't know if you said that one. Um, yeah, there's, there's just so many, but like so many of them boiled down into the deepest ones, which are I'm unworthy of love. I'm unlovable. Um, I'm separate. I don't belong. So all of these deeper ones, uh, they all kind of filter into that. Yeah. I can't trust myself. I can't trust life. I mean, it's, it's so deep. And, and, you know, these are things that, that um, we pick up all over the place. They're reinforced by media. They're reinforced by culture. They're reinforced by, you know, affirmisms that, people say, I mean, it is just like, like literally I can just tell you that the, the reality that we live in is, okay, I don't want to say it's designed, but the way it operates has the secondary effect of optimizing most people's mindset to not be in flow. You know, it's very much akin to the matrix, the movies, you know, literally that, you know, I think those movies were so popular because they hit a lot closer to home than most people want, want to admit, but it's like, you know, yeah, we live in a reality that is just not optimized for flow right now. And so there, there are pieces, I don't want to throw the baby out with the bathwater, you know, there certainly are movements and, and aspects of, of our lives that are supportive for flow. But on the whole, the way that our current social structures are set up, the way our cultures are set up, are not designed to support flow. And so there's a lot there to unpack and to, to kind of defrag your mind out of these old programs and into the new paradigm. Well, let's, so let's go ahead, Jackie. Yeah, just once that you have this understanding, you hear it in what everyone says, you know, you become so attuned to it and you hear them arguing for their own limitations in the things that they're saying. And some of it's conscious, some of it's most of it is unconscious. And so they're not even aware of how these perceptions are limiting what's possible for them. And so, you know, once we've, we've identified a couple of these right now, of like, you know, again, even ones that I personally identify that I need to work hard to be successful in social situations sometimes that I, I can't trust myself, that I need to, to try to build rapport. Uh, I'm curious, so once you've identified one of these limiting beliefs or, you know, narratives, what is the process to unpacking that so that it no longer has this type of control on, on our mind and how we show up? Yeah. So there's a couple different layers to it. Um, you know, there's, again, it's just like everything with flow, there's, there's the 101 layer and then, you know, it goes all the way up to a PhD. And so, um, the, the, a good starting point for people that are listening to the podcast, um, and people that are working, even, this is even great for people that have somewhat of an advanced, you know, skill set in this area too. But, you know, the first thing that you really want to do is, um, drill down into what's under the surface level of the belief. Um, Cause you always want to, you always want to work at the deepest layer of leverage because that's where that's, what's creating the belief or the negative thought or whatever the limitation is in the first place. So you can do that by asking yourself what we call mindful questioning or mindful questions, which are a series of questions that help you uncover what is the actual root limiting belief or what are all the limiting beliefs that are there that need to be dealt with. And those questions are, um, you know, what am I making this mean about myself? 
what must I believe is true in order to be having this thought or this experience? And, and even just as simple as why, like, why am I thinking this? Why am I having this thought? And you can, you can use those questions to assess or to question any negative thought that you're having about yourself, experience, anything, like anything where you can identify any kind of limitation, start asking those three questions and you will start to uncover the limiting beliefs that are there. And then, you know, on a really basic level, uh, like a really, a really nice and, uh, uh, neuroscience-based practice to get start with, started with is to start to identify what is the opposite of that limiting belief, okay? Because usually the opposite, just straightforward, the opposite of that belief is going to be a positive flow-enhancing belief. So if you something like, you know, I'm not good enough, is that's the limiting belief you identify, like I'm capable of whatever I put my mind to would be a positive belief, right? So it's just kind of a flip. Now, it doesn't always work like that, but nine times out of 10, that, that is the way you flip it. And then a, a really powerful thing that you can do that you don't need training on how to use any techniques or anything is to go out in the world and to take action on that new belief. Do something that symbolically represents that new belief. And especially if that thing is exciting to you or inspiring to you or you know a little bit edgy, because when you do that, when you take action on that new belief and you do something different that you haven't normally done before, it actually causes your brain to go into a highly neuroplastic state and start to rewire your neural circuitry around the new belief because you've just taken action on something that um, is, is a new novel experience for you, which kicks up the neuroplasticity. And we don't typically take action on things that we don't believe. So when you do that, you kind of send a feedback loop into your mind and, and hack it into that state. So that's a really powerful way to start playing with beliefs. But also you, you want to also go into the emotional side of it too, as every belief has a corresponding emotional component and you really want to work through the fear and the deep emotions that are there as well that are, that are anchoring in the belief. Yeah. So when you're taking on the new empowering positive belief and acting as if you are someone who embodies this belief, it's important to start to find evidence of that shift. So, you know, if you had the limiting belief that I'm awkward in social situations, um, an empowering belief would be I'm confident, uh, I'm secure around people that I don't know or something. And so every time that you experience that in yourself, reinforcing that and paying attention to it and gathering evidence that's going to help rewire those neural pathways. And then you get to get excited every time you're triggered because you know it's an invitation to uprooting something that's been holding you back. So rather than getting frustrated when you get triggered, you get to be curious and, and to do this work and question these beliefs and, and question if they're even valid um, and knowing that it's coming from a deeper wounded place and you have the invitation to work through it and to heal it. And, you know, that's just like a really entry level practice, but super powerful. And then, you know, we, we work with these beliefs at the mental, emotional, energetic, and physical level in our trainings to really rewire and reprogram them. So then it becomes your default. You become that person that is actually embodying these new beliefs and having those profound emotional shifts. And that becomes your new default way of being. That's beautiful. And I'm curious about, you know, even to make it you know, more, more practical for people who are listening, I'm curious if for each of you guys, if you could bring us back to a moment kind of in your flow trajectory where you, you had a specific limiting belief 
and how you were able to transform that and how that subsequently transformed your life. If you have any that really stand out for you as kind of significant transformative moments in your flow journey, are there any that really come to mind for you? Yeah, there's, there's one, one in particular and, and two in general, but one in particular, I'll just, I'll just do one. Um, but like, yeah, I, <laughs> so when I was first getting started, really going deep with beliefs, um, I was kind of, I was using these questions, these very questions that we just talked about to excavate what was under the hood of my mind. And, uh, I started, uh, I forget where I started on the surface, but, um, I, I, I kept using the questions and going deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper. And then all of a sudden this limiting belief started to show its head. And I had this like sudden awareness that this had been operating my whole life and dictating 25 years or my behavior and limiting, limiting me. And the belief was I am all alone. And I remember that the second it kind of unearthed, I had this huge eruption of energy in my body. And like, I felt all this emotion surface and I actually got sick. I, and it was, it was the oddest kind of sick because I knew that I wasn't actually sick. I knew that it, like I was totally fine. And then literally from one minute to the next, I felt like I was getting sick. And I was like, uh, and I just discovered this belief that rocked my world. And I remember, um, for the next three days, I like my mind was just processing and integrating like I, I, you know, I use some different techniques we use in our programs to clear it and really quickly erase it from, from my neurology. And I felt for the next two or three days, my mind was just like, it was like, you know, when you, when you format a hard drive, it was just like every piece of my being was shifting and I was seeing all these patterns that I used to be in and they were falling away. And it was like literally the moment I think when like Neo takes the red pill and like pops out of the matrix and has to reorient to this new reality. That's what it was like for me. And at the end of the three days, I kind of re- I came, you know, I came back into more of a normal mode of operating and my entire reality shifted. And I went from feeling like I couldn't connect with anybody on this wavelength to now literally being inundated with messages and calls and invitations to the point where I'm like, man, I need some alone time you know, <laughs> to, to just be by myself. And so my reality totally shifted. I mean, literally I went from being in isolation, you know, uh, on like a friend level on this level to being surrounded by the most incredible community within like a month or two, I had like a, a laundry list of people trying to get a hold of me. So that was probably the most profound experience I'd ever had with rapidly shifting something. Yeah. It's, it, it, just because I, I work with so many people in the realm of, of interpersonal dynamics and, and confidence and relationships, it's one of the beliefs that I see so frequently with people who don't exist in kind of major metropolitan hubs is like the people around me can't meet me where I'm at. Like the people around mm -hmm. me aren't on my yeah. level. They're not, they're not interested in the things that I'm interested in. And that belief just fundamentally inhibits what they bring into those relationships. It's just puts on blinders. It provides no opportunity for anyone to actually meet them where they're at. So totally. I really, I yeah. <laughs> what about you, Jackie? Um, I think uh, probably my deepest core wound that I was carrying from childhood was an abandonment wound. And so that would show up in, in my romantic relationships and my friend relationships. And so that was probably the deepest, most painful of, of my patterns and, and wounds. And so I would 
I would look for that. I became hypervigilant in, in relationships and I was always waiting for the shoe to drop and kind of looking for signs that, you know, they were going to leave. And <laughs> as you can imagine, that created a lot of discomfort and anxiety um, and anxious attachment style and all of that. Um, and uh, I remember distinctly just really working through this and noticing how if I just shift my perception to start looking for all of the ways that the people I loved show up for me and are there for me and stay in my life and, and just kind of use that same mechanism of, that I was using to be hypervigilant to really find the ways that prove the opposite, everything changed. There was so much freedom in that. And I didn't need to cling to people. I didn't need to um, really just always be looking for the ways that it wasn't going to work. And I found so much more peace in my relationships. And also um, just kind of looking for, for the gift in all of that, because in that same pattern of um, fear of, of people leaving and me going to be abandoned came my superpower. And I'm now, you know, a, a connector of, of people. And it's because I developed this profound ability to really hold on to people in my life and stay into contact and connection. And now I do it from a much healthier place. But when I was little, it was like, I remember, you know, going to the mall on the bus or something and, and I would make friends with someone and I was so afraid that they were going to not want to be my friend that I would stay in touch with them. And so I, I held on to everyone in my life um, from an unhealthy place. And now it's become my greatest gift. And I have this unbelievable network of people all over the world um, because I've really learned the value of staying in connection, um, but from a healthier place. So really by, by working through the wound, I came to the gift. Yeah, it's beautiful. And, you know, I'm, I'm curious, you know, as both of you guys just took us through those, those kind of stories, those beliefs, and how they had such an impact, you know, again, I, I want to bring it back to, to the current moment that we find ourselves in collectively as we're, we're basically facing COVID-19, we're trying to stop the spread, we're, we're existing in this world of social isolation and quarantine. And we have a lot of times for so many of us where we're basically with our own minds and a lot of scary thoughts are coming up about what the future holds. And Justin, I know I saw you write a beautiful post and Jackie, you wrote one as well. And so I'm curious, it's like for, for people who are going to be listening to this and really, you know, in this, this at least next couple of weeks, couple of months spread, how would you kind of uh, parlay what we're talking about right now to what's going on in our heads in this current moment in time? Yeah. Well, it, you know, it's, it's super important um, on that wavelength to not let perceived external circumstances dictate what's possible for you. That's a, there's a lot there. I'll say it again. It's, it's important to not let perceived external circumstances dictate what is possible for you because we humans tend to do this thing where we go, Hey, look, uh, they, we see, we see something going on outside of us, whatever that is, whether it's coronavirus, whether it's moving the markets, whether it's something much more normal and benign. And we go, Oh, like that's reality. And what's inside my mind is imagination when, and, and so we, we tend to let like 
what we see going on outside of us dictate what we think is possible. And this is this creates immediate limitation for us on a very real level, not in, not in terms of like a metaphysical sense, but on a very li- real level in terms of what we'll actually let ourselves perceive and believe is possible in terms of the opportunities that are present. And so, you know, there's a lot of narratives going around right now about how bad this is going to be and how terrible it's going to be. And all of these, there's a lot of fear mongering going around with the virus about what it's going to do to this and that. And it's like, you know, that certainly is possible, but it's also totally possible that we all rise to the occasion and we all come together and birth something really beautiful out of this and use this as an opportunity to fix a lot of the issues that Jackie mentioned at the beginning of the call, you know, in, in our, in the current way that the world operates. And, but if we're so convinced that what, what, you know, worst case scenario we're being told is going to happen today is true then it disempowers us and makes it so that we don't actually believe it's possible to create something better or to, to take action on the opposite and choose a different timeline. And so this comes back to really staying focused on what's possible, not necessarily what's probable or what's happening, but what's possible. Okay. Because then you can be in an empowered place where you have agency to make decisions that actually choose more optimal futures rather than, you know, cataclysm, suffering, struggle, collapse, all these different things that are being advertised right now. So I think there's a real opportunity for us to both respond to the very practical and imminent things that do need, uh, you know, a measured response to, but not let that dim what's possible for us in the future and still hold the vision for the greater degree of what's possible in, in terms of like something beautiful coming from this. Yeah. I, I love that distinguish that. I love how you distinguish that of like dealing with what is practical and, and imminent and right in front of us, but also not letting go of what is possible of that yeah, framing. That, of, yeah. That's key to really just being in the present moment awareness and not going into all of these imagined future scenarios and just being with what comes up. And that's why it's so important to process these different emotions because these are unprecedented times and like our deepest traumas are being triggered and all of these things that we don't necessarily know how to deal with. We're, we're grieving the imagined future. We're grieving things that are happening now. And so it's so important to be with and process whatever's there so we can show up and, and be in this place of emotional clarity and equanimity so that way we can make clear decisions. And, and we really have an opportunity not to just go through this, but to grow through this if we take it and to really just do the work and use the tools that we have to really um, come out of this on the other side as as stronger and finding the opportunities and the obstacles. And uh, it's really, there's so much possibility there that if we tune into it, we can really thrive on the other side of this. Yeah. So, I, so I, go ahead. I was say real quick. I just laughed because like, you know, it seemed like before this whole virus thing came along, it seemed like climate change and global warming and, you know, the, that, the, that future was inevitable because we just could not stop. We were addicted to our current way of life and, you know, God help us that anybody would make a commitment before 2050 to like do anything measurable to reduce greenhouse gases. And then in the course of one month, the entire world economy has pretty much come, you know, close to a, a halt. 
and all the pollution's leaving China. You know, if you look at the maps, like, oh my God, the, the pollution levels in these cities that was getting worse ever is suddenly gone. And it's like, wow, look how quickly we could actually just stop, you know? And perhaps, you know, this is, you know, a more challenging way of doing it than we had. It's less intentional, right? Than we could have, but it's possible to do that, you know? And so it's like, it's like, hey, you know, we're totally capable of making huge changes rapidly. And so let's just do it intentionally this time instead of like letting, you know, a circumstance like this force us into it. Yeah. And it is, it is interesting to think about it just in terms of this collective pause, right? Of like how much of the way and reason that we're doing things is just because we did it yesterday that way. And so, so many people are being kind of invited to disrupt the the patterns of their lives and their thinking. And, you know, it was not necessarily an intentional practice, but nonetheless, we find ourselves here. And so, you know, in that pause, there's certainly room for, for reevaluation or just kind of reapproaching things from a, a different way. Right. Which and not- is, necessarily wanting to go back to the way things were. And like, I hear people wanting, can't we just get back to normal? But normal is what got us here. <laughs> right. You know, so it's like, and, and I, I kind of feel like this is going to go on for longer because, uh, you know, I was in New York for 9-11 and what happened on the other side of 9-11 was exquisite. You know, people were coming together and, and uniting and supporting each other and, and, having beautiful compassion for everyone, but it was short lived. And I feel like this is, you know, a huge disruption. And in order for us to have long term behavior change and not just go right back to sleep and go into overconsumption and into these practices that are not sustainable for uh, living in harmony with nature, that we really need to have this reset and this pause to make change. And there is so much beauty coming out of this. And in our isolation, we're more united than ever. You know, we're all, everyone all over the world is facing this one common challenge. So there's solidarity in that. And we're all experiencing the universality of these different sorrows and grief and sadness and fear and anger and all of these things we're all experiencing collectively at the same time. So in our isolation, we're more connected and united than ever. So there's a a profound gift and a profound opportunity for us to really be the change and step in to create this new society and this new paradigm and these new systems now, rather than just going back to the status quo. And so this is something that I, w- I want to key off on is because you know something that I, I'm so sure of in my experience of you too is, is that again, is that you care deeply about the planet, you care deeply about other people. And, you know, oftentimes, I think when people encounter like flow, in general, in flow states, it's, it's kind of mitigated to this arena of, of peak performance. It's kind of this very individual pursuit. And even as we're talking, you know, I, I find when we talk about things like intuition and getting out of the way of our own intuition and acting from this place, that it feels almost like it is happening kind of in a vacuum. It's like our expression coming out into the world. And I'm curious, like, how do you grapple with this way of being and our, our civic responsibility, our responsibility to other people and how to grapple with those things and how it aids us in, in really you know, serving that, that shared humanity that, that Jackie was just talking about. Yeah, that's a great question. And, and it's so important at a time like this too. I think that the, that, that actually like 
part of the challenge we've had in shifting the collective is that we're all trying to figure out how to shift the collective instead of just taking responsibility for our own piece of it. And so when you look at it from how do we shift the collective and solve all the problems, it's a very, very, very overwhelming question. And it's very complex. And there's a lot of problems and a lot of things that need to change. And most people just don't feel like they're in a place in their life to even affect that change. I mean, we hang out with billionaires all the time and they don't even feel a lot of times like that they can make a dent. They're like, you know, what? this is a huge problem. I'm just going to try and do this one thing. And it's like, okay, so if they're some of the most resourced people on the planet and they don't even know what to do and they feel overwhelmed, like God help, you know, mom and pop down on Main Street or just, you know, anybody, <laughs> right? And so, so this is the beauty of flow is that it is a change strategy that is optimized for the individual, but also can scale to the collective as needed. And when you make a decision from intuition, it's a very radical thing. I would argue, and I've done a lot of study into systems theory. I have a degree in environmental science. I've been studying the challenges that we're facing from a lot of different uh, angles over the years, from psychology, nature of reality, all kinds of stuff. Um, like so many of the problems that we have are because our system was built by people that were addicted to hyper-rational thinking that was very limited and suffered from a lot of confirmation bias you know, and, and originated from like Darwinian maxims, like, you know, survival of the fittest, like that belief is pretty much embedded into our culture that we're separate from ourselves or in the environment and other people. We don't value things that we can't put a price tag on. And that kind of thinking only happens when someone's not operating from their intuition because your intuition is designed. It's, it's, it's the nature's operating system. Okay. It's designed to produce infinite balance and homeostasis and abundance like we see in untouched nature. So when you make a decision from your intuition, it's naturally optimized for the highest good of, for you and every other form of life on the planet and in the universe actually too. And so it's a really radical thing to act from your intuition because it at a lot of times will fly in the face of what's quote unquote, you know, culturally acceptable. But at the same time, from the higher perspective, you're doing that thing that is of greatest service to the collective when you do that. You're you're naturally orienting yourself in a way that is designed to support the whole. And now imagine that billions of people are acting like that. Billions of people are using the same operating system that the plants use. I think we're going to have a lot better outcomes, you know, than we currently do. So I think that that flow is really this incredible scaling strategy for, you know, creating a better world because it's so practical and it's accessible and it, it solves for complexity in a really, really simple way. Yeah. And you're really, you're shifting from a me perspective to a we perspective. So when you're not focused on just, you know, that survival mode where you're hoarding TP and, you know, just making these these decisions out of lack and scarcity and and fear, you get to be generous and and give from the overflow because you have that trust, you have that abundance. And so you're able to use what you have to show up in service and support other people. And so at this time, you know, if you're just focused on yourself and and you're stuck in your own fear and and scarcity and limitation, you're you're not going to be stepping out and seeing how you can help other people. And and that's really where where the shift happens is when we're able to show up in service and look after one another and and check on our neighbors and share our resources and move into a more 
collaborative world and shifting out of the old paradigm of competition and, and scarcity. It's beautiful. And so, you know, again, because this conversation is being recorded in a time where I think that there is a massive call to, to reflect, to support, uh, to consider the kind of future that we're going to head into, you know, as this does start to, to kind of loosen, um, what would you do and what do you do with your, with your clients and the people you work with to give them like a momentary reframe? So it's like when you guys talk about this of like, I know that you guys are, are Jedis in this practice, but still in moments where you find yourself coming out of flow consciousness and you want to reorient. And so for people, you know, as we, we're over an hour now, and so as we kind of work our way towards a close, it's, I'm just curious of like for people who are, who are listening to this, whatever they're doing, um, do you guys have any sort of practices that allow people to reorient in the present moment towards flow consciousness? And if so, like, how would you do that? Yeah, well, one of my favorites is um, really it, it's it's based on an understanding. And then there's a really great practice at the end of it, which it, it, in a nutshell, it's, it's looking for the silver lining. And it's based on this idea that, you know, this is not an original idea. We have a, a way of explaining it that may be very simple, but it's, it's a, this is an idea that, you know, comes from Buddhism, from, from Zen philosophy, from a lot of, you know, ancient uh, spiritual traditions. And it's the, this idea that like we should be practicing radical acceptance and trusting the wisdom of what's happening. And part of the reason we do that is because we don't actually know hindsight's 2020 and, and we don't actually know what the current situation is setting us up for in the future that might be better. But even beyond that, at a very basic level, how you interpret things determines what kind of emotional reaction you will have to it. So if you choose to view something that's happening as bad, you're going to suffer period, because it's going to send you into an emotional state. You're perceiving something in a way that's going to send you into an emotional state where you're going to be like, that's wrong. That's bad. That shouldn't be happening. I'm frustrated. I'm pissed off. I'm scared. I feel helpless. It's putting the locus of power outside of yourself. On the other hand, if you view what's happening for your highest good, even though you may not understand why, that simple reframe is going to put your mind in a, in a state where you begin to search for all the reasons that this is happening that could be wonderful and that what is the silver lining of this, of this experience. And when you're in that frame, when you're looking for the reasons why this is going to be a great experience, why it's going to work to your advantage, now all of a sudden you're in possibility. You're in flow. You're in a space of happiness. Like you feel like you could even rise to the occasion, you know? And so just that simple internal shift of saying like, hey, whatever's happening, I don't know why, it may seem like it's bad on the surface, but I, but I, I know that there's a silver lining in this and I'm looking for it and, and I'm coming from a place of not resisting it. That makes all the difference in a moment like this. Yeah. And yeah. The, go go ahead, ahead, Jackie. Yeah. I mean, um, it can be hard to see in the moment when you're like feeling overwhelmed because you're losing your job or you're losing income or people around you are sick and dying. And, and so it can be easy to shift in that fear and not be able to see that in the moment. But again, it's a practice like anything else. So the more you train yourself to be in that trust, to be in that surrender and to really look for the silver lining or at least be open to the gift in it. So I, I shared earlier about my brother's death and, you know, at that time that was the most deeply traumatic thing I'd ever experienced. And over time, as I did the work to heal it, um, that 
become one of the greatest gifts that I've ever received because his death really was a catalyst for my awakening and stepping into my bigger purpose here on this planet and doing this work and being able to share these tools that can support so many other people. And so death and really just meditating on my own mortality and seeing where I was clinging to life because I was afraid to die. And so I wasn't really able to live fully until I sat with that and worked through that. Um, And then building that trust and that acceptance that everything is really happening for me and not to me. And, and so anytime I'm faced with a challenging situation, you know, I've had a number of very difficult things. I, I had a couple surgeries a couple times in the hospital. And I remember after the first surgery and, you know, on the other side of that, I ended up meeting Justin. So I was like, great. The second time I'm like, what amazing thing is going to come out of this? And just imagining the shift in my ability to heal, having the understanding how fear impacts us on a cellular level and, you know, is actually um, at the root of so much illness and compromising our immunity, knowing that my ability to heal and repair myself on the other side of that, because I was staying in the, the curiosity and the possibility was so profound. So the more you can just come into acceptance and not resisting what's happening because it's going to happen anyway. And you being in resistance is just going to create so much stress and illness in the body. Um, You're able to, you know, paradoxically, you're able to make more changes when you're just coming into acceptance rather than being in resistance. And how would you guys speak to, you know, when, when we talk about in times like these, these reframes, how would you guys speak to, like, I would even say like some people's resistance of like, but you like the pressure to acknowledge what is of like for people who I know who friends, you know, who have parents who are, have, have passed away already because of, of Corona. And when we have, you know, some bleak you know, future of like, you see the market moving like that. And so what do you guys say about acknowledging kind of some of these harsh realities while also reframing, you know, how can we kind of like honor what is Justin, you said the word imminent, but I, I think it's really important in kind of like the, the, the art of this integration and, and this practice, how can we, how would you guys speak to that? Just cause I'd, I'd love a little more clarification. Yeah. Well, you know, what we're saying is, is, it's not like trying to bypass what is right. Like we're, what, what we're advocating for is really radical acceptance. Like radical acceptance means accepting what is we are in uncharted territory. These are extraordinary times. It is not business as usual. The markets are going nuts. People are suffering. It's real. It's not, it's not an illusion. It's real. And nonetheless, like you can acknowledge that, and the only way that you can really respond, not react, okay, there's this, there's this distinction between reacting and responding. When you're reacting, the situation controls you. When you're responding, you're centered, and then you're acting from a place of, of uh, uh, deep wisdom, okay? And you're, ab- you're able to make better decisions. Like, 
I, in the post that you keep referencing, Andrew, you know, I, I quoted uh, a former uh, captain of the Navy SEALs that used to train all the troops who says the worst decisions, the worst mistakes that were ever made on the battlefield were made in times of fear and panic. And so it's important for us in situations like this not to act from that place. And when you're reacting to what's happening and you're believing in the imminent doom or whatever narratives being out being spun out there about what's happening, you're going to be in fear and panic. You're going to make worse decisions. So it actually serves you best to acknowledge what's going on, like you're saying and suggesting, and then layer on the practice of radical acceptance to go into that calm state where you can see this as an opportunity, whatever it is, whether that's an opportunity for your own growth or to serve other people more deeply who really need it or to whatever it is. Then from that place to respond is really the ninja move. And that's that's really lacking in our culture is that people are reacting. I mean, geez, look at politics. All the politicians are reacting. We, we need leaders that are responding, not reacting. And you only can respond when you actually are real about what's happening. If you're if you're trying to distort it or pretend like something's not happening, then you ha- you're missing data and you're going to make worse decisions. So you want to see things as they are, then go into acceptance and then use that good judgment that is, is harvested there to make your decisions. Yeah. I, I think that's so important. And you said the word, and I think that that's probably what I was, I was looking for subconsciously of like the, the frame of spiritual bypassing of people who use kind of spiritual practice to detach and not fully accept like what, what is happening in our, in our shared reality. And so I, that's yeah. why I want, I appreciate that clarification because I think it is so important in the application of this and in the practice of it. And, and I feel very, very clear on that after, after that, which is nice. Yeah. And that's where it comes back to the practice of inner work as well, because you're not just going to find the gift in it because it can be hard to find the gift in the moment when you're triggered. So it's, it's not about ignoring what's going on around you. It's about actually meeting it head on and feeling these feelings that you're experiencing and using whatever tools and support system you have to go into it and to process it and use it as an invitation for deep healing. So that way you can come from that centered, centered, grounded place and your decisions will be so much more effective because you're not reactionary and you're not operating from a wound and a trigger. So it's so important to have both aspects of it, both the the processing and healing around whatever emotions and, and trauma imprints and triggers are coming up and holding the frame of, you know, what is the wisdom in this? What is the gift? How do I come into more acceptance and trust? Yeah, I actually, I, I brought that question to our men's group. We had about 25 guys in this, this town hall and the, the theme of the, the night was service. And so I, a little iteration on that, a question that you posed, Justin was, um, like, what have you believed that everything happening right now was calling you towards your greatest contribution and service? Mm, That's a great question. Yeah. And it was, and it was again, like, what if you believe that? And I think that, you know, it was, it was just, again, something open to let people like sit with that, but, uh, just a, a beautiful reframe to, to sit with what is, and then to, to think about yeah, these, these trying times. And what if that is true? How, you know? And you know, yeah, totally. And you know what? I would argue that like what you guys are doing is, is almost like the equivalent of, you know, the great forefathers that sat and created this country. I mean, it's, 
it's, it's, it is a radical act to think like that in a lot of ways in our day and age, you know, there's so much, there's so many people that would argue that like, what, how, how dare you think about possibility when so many people are suffering? And it's like, that's a really dangerous mindset, you know? And so to, to hold these pockets of possibility in the face of what's happening is really a revolutionary act. It's really, really important. And, you know, I think it's, it's one of our greatest chances at really rising to the occasion and, uh, and, and thriving uh, from this experience rather than getting sucked into it and letting it win, you know? Yeah. And historically, these times of, of recession and economic collapse have birthed such incredible companies and innovation and humans are so resilient and adaptive that, you know, it, it can be, again, hard to see in the moment, but there's going to be a renaissance in creativity and art and innovation and invention as a result of us being pressed and squeezed in this. So, you know, it, it's, there's so much that can come out of this. Yeah. Well, guys, I, I have loved this. It feels so uh, prescient right now. And, uh, you know, I just love if uh, for either of you guys, for people who are considering diving deeper into this work, what would you want them to know about kind of the, the practice of flow consciousness and, and how it can improve their lives? Yeah. Uh, you know, it's in, it's in my opinion and I'm a little biased, right? Uh, but, but for real though, we have people that come and work with us and are like, totally agree with the statement is that it's, it's the most essential life, life skill that there is in my opinion. Like it is, it is everything that you wish that you were taught in school, but never given It's the Swiss army knife for all situations. I mean, it's, it's, it's a set of tools that will help you navigate whatever you face in life and leverage it to your highest good and highest advantage and everyone's highest advantage. So that's, that's priceless in my opinion. Beautiful. Jackie. Yeah. That um, challenges are inevitable, but struggle and suffering are optional. So really having the tools to support you to go within, to reprogram your operating system, to take, one on that allows you to thrive and exist in the the realm of infinite possibilities is what leads to so much expansion, so much emotional freedom, exponential growth, just so much bliss and joy and happiness, and regardless of what's going on around you. I love it, guys. And I personally, as someone who's gone through the Flow Mastery course, can't recommend it high enough. And as we bring this to a close, I'll just, again, put that forward to all of our listeners of as we are in the midst of challenging times, isolation, quarantine, what have you believed that everything happening right now is calling you forward to your fullest potential, to your greatest contribution service? And how does the world kind of change as your experience of it change as you consider it? So... Justin, Jackie, thank you guys so much for taking the time to be on. Uh, we will certainly put this one in a rush so we can share it out with everybody. And uh, what's the best place for people to uh, check in with you guys, uh, all the courses and writing and everything else that you guys are up to? Uh, yeah, we sit at the same time. <laughs> um, and uh, follow us on social media too. Just Jackie Nectel, Justin Fairman. Uh, you'll find us. And we will list everything in the show notes so you can check that out. And uh, I love following their stuff. I hope you guys do too. So thank you so much for taking the time, guys. It's been a pleasure. Beautiful.
Pleasure. Thank you. Deep pleasure, Andrew. Thank you so much. Signing off.